The Production Expert Podcast with Julian Rogers, James Ivey and Audrey Martinovic. Welcome to Production Expert Podcast number 428. It's July the 13th, 2020. I'm Julian Rogers. I'm James Ivey. And I'm Audrey Martinovic. We've got some great deals from Isotope, UJAM, RSPE, Waves, Editors, Keys, and Avid on our deals page. So go to the deals page. But anyway, we should go to Talking Points, which are sponsored by our tweet. Hello, experts and listeners. Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. See, we'd say eternity, but eternity sounds so much cooler. <laughs> oh, <laughs> eternity. I discovered pronunciation guides on the little Google ones when you're looking up, and uh, I didn't realise it offers American or British English variations with different voices for each. <laughs> well, you know what they say, don't you? Two countries separated by a common language. Well, <laughs> this, this is the whole schedule, schedule thing. And it was kind of like, but it was interesting. It was a schedule, schedule. And it, yeah, no, yeah. that's the thing. I do like quality control for um, audiobooks sometimes. And so one of the things we have to mark is if someone's pronounced something incorrectly. And so I'm like, okay, I have to think about where is this person from? Is this dialect going to be like French or Norwegian? Because it totally changes the pronunciation of a J. So... Fun fact. Mm. Well, we uh, it's going well on Talking Point One because we're down a rabbit hole before we've even said what it is, which is quite appropriate because we're talking about breaking the rules. Breaking the law. Breaking the law. (laughs) So, um, breaking the rules. Who wants to start on this? Well, I can start. I uh, saw Will's article on our site about are you a production pioneer or a prisoner of your genre? And it, it got me thinking because I I do mostly acoustic music. So um, with classical and sometimes with jazz, I don't really get to like grab um, techniques from other genres. Like you don't really hear me doing any auto tune on violins or anything like that. Sometimes, you know, I, I'll, I'll do a little bit of that. But but um, it's usually just to fix a problem in a certain spot, not really to like put this effect on it. So this article got me thinking about some kind of techniques that I'm really intrigued by. And I wanted to see if there were any uh, things that you guys uh, had examples of or, you know, stuff that you're like, oh, you know, I, I usually do this with my drums or this with my vocals and it's really appropriate for, you know, pop or whatever. But let's see what that's like on, you know, on country or something, just kind of bridging that gap and not really just trying to keep ourselves in this this confined box. So um, the first example I thought of was, 
was um, appropriate for uh, my acoustic genre experience was um, so typically for classical, you don't really want a super close and focused sound. Usually there's more space. Um, you kind of allow the instrument uh, to breathe a little bit. You might go for like a hall reverb, just a little bit of that, not anything to really um, change any dynamics of the performance. So we don't really use a whole lot of compression, just a little bit to even it out just a bit. But, you know, we always with the composer's uh, intent in mind when we do that. Um, so last summer, um, I had a session with some early Baroque instruments, and um, the tone of the VL is supposed to be similar to a viola. It's like kind of a lower-pitched string instrument, and um, but it's supposed to have this really kind of nasal, kind of gross quality to it, like right in your face. So I, instead of miking like, you know, six feet up off the floor, a few feet away, a couple of room mics. I went like right in her face with um, a TLM 103 and just tried to really capture the sound of this bow on the strings, like grating and everything. And it, it came out really cool. And uh, something that I think most classical violin players would hate, you know, for their tone. But um, yeah. for that, it was a really fun experiment for me. So I'm curious about any kind of experiences you've had with that. I like that one of early instruments just because they're a bit more unusual. So there isn't, mm -hmm. there, there, maybe there isn't quite such a preconception about how yeah. they should sound. Because mm -hmm. I've, I, and it sounds like you've done quite a bit of early instruments. I've done quite a few, but yeah. more live than than recorded actually. In but studio. things oh, sure. like I know weirdest instruments you've recorded. One of the one of the bits on my scribble strip on on my mixer I'm proudest to have ever had to write is hurdy gurdies. Oh. The plural. plural. Oh, yeah. That doesn't come around often. Hurdy-gurdy's left center, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, can we have the hurdy-gurdy up? Yeah, sure, which one? But yeah. uh, No, but things like, I don't know, um, crumb horns and uh, rackets mm -hmm. and Breton pipes, which are oh. lovely, actually, because we all know the Ulaine pipes, which are quite nice, but Breton are kind of crazy things. They're like about nine foot tall when they're being played. and oh. Yeah, loads of kind of quite odd sounding things. But if you've got something, you haven't got quite so many preconceptions about how it should sound. It's kind of mm -hmm. like, well, you know, I've got a little bit of flexibility in here. So yeah, nice one. I like that one. Thanks. Many, yeah. many moons ago, um, I um, did some recording at the Cambridge Folk Festival. And Funnily enough, that's where one of these was. And Julian can, <laughs> Julian can, um, can probably testify to the fact that you do get some strange instruments coming out of these sort of events. And I, I was in a thing called the Rock Hopper, which is an old um, 60s Airstream caravan that had been converted into a mobile studio. And we were inviting artists from the main stage in, but we were also getting... Um, like some of the kids in and just like recording their bands and stuff. And some of these kids are amazing. I mean, really super talented. Now, I remember one group came in and they were Cumbrian, Cumbrian pipes, doubling Celtic flute, acoustic guitar, doubling violin, violin, doubling vocal, and uh, Celtic harp, doubling vocal. Oh, cool. Now, I'd never recorded a Celtic harp before, and I can't say I've done it since. But I, I, I bear in mind, we're in a fairly sizable yet still caravan. You know, it's 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 not. We haven't got room to swing. 
uh, many cat, a cat, let alone many cats. So I remember asking, for first rule of thumb when recording a new instrument, ask the player where the last mm-hmm. person put any microphones. And she said, well, kind of one there. And then the next rule of thumb is use your your built-in microphones and sort of make them play or get them to play and have a wander around with your head where and where you like the sound is generally a good place to put the microphone. And I remember I just got a couple of ribbon, my first ribbon mics, which were uh, a brand called Shiny Box, Shiny Box Ribbons. Um, And I remember for some reason... I. I knew they had a good sort of mic locker on this this um, this, this rock opera caravan thing, but for some reason I thought, you know, what? I'm going to take these along because hey, I've just got them. Let's give them a whirl. Mm-hmm. And ribbons on Celtic harp sound Ooh. amazing. Um, I've still got the session actually. It's one of those I I took it. I probably shouldn't have done it. it was probably belonged to somebody else, but I kept the session because I was so pleased with how it came out. Just a literally a, a straight sort of static flat mix, and I went. This sounds great. This is some of the best acoustic recording I've ever done. Um, nice. It's not really, it's not really break, breaking the rules, but I think I probably, because of the environment we were in, and there was no natural reverb to this thing. It was dry as a chip because it was inside a caravan that had been soundproofed. I did specifically mic everything way closer than I normally would and then apply effects to fake the space, as it were. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can think of other times where I've, I've used techniques that I would normally do in one genre um, because of limitations of, of my current environment. For example, um, if I'm recording, not necessarily myself, because I, I, I find it really difficult to play on it, but a, a well-known metal, rock and metal kick drum technique is to get a credit card, tape it to the batter head of the kick drum, mm. And use a plastic beater, um, bass drum beater, to get a really click, super clicky tick, 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 sort of kick drum sound. Now I think it sounds horrible, personally. <laughs> I agree. This I, but, I know it's the beer mat one, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, you can't use a credit. You have to use a store card or like a like a, a, a club card without the embossed um, numbering, because otherwise mm. you don't get complete contact with the head. Minor details, um, but. When you don't have an internal microphone and you want that kind of more pronounced, clickier sound, so say you're, you're on a live gig and you've only got one kick mic and it's not something that you can put right up to the head, um, put strap a credit card on and all of a sudden all that click will come through a mic on the outside of your kick drum. Mm. So it's kind of using different techniques when you haven't got the facilities that maybe you might, you might like or would be desirable. Like wondering how that would go over with jazz players. <laughs> oh, they'd hate it. I mean, rec- but, but recently, I I was doing some recording for a track, and my my normal kind of nice, bright, bright, shiny hi hats just sounded way too loud, way too loud. So I thought, hmm, I wonder how how some jazz hats, much much thinner, much lighter mm-hmm. uh, metal, would sound on this track. And it was absolutely the right choice. Normally, nice. I wouldn't be playing those big, big fifteen-inch um, hi hats, really, really super thin, with quite mm-hmm. such aggression. But the sound was absolutely perfect for the track. So, don't think that that breaking the rules is just an us thing as engineers. It's also a performer thing mm-hmm. and a performance choice thing. Um, a great 
trick that I learned a long time ago. If you want to sound more aggressive on drums, use heavier sticks. Instantly, mm. it sounds more driven, loud. Because obviously, you have to play that much harder because your your arms are working, your arms and wrists are working harder because the sticks are heavier. You just get a, a very different sound. If you want to play, get a lighter, kind of more delicate touch. Play with um, some thinner sticks. Still sticks, not hot rods or um, those kind of bundle sticks or brushes. Still with normal sticks, but just thinner, just lighter. So I'm going to confess, the first thing that I thought when it went breaking the rules, you know, what kind of, you know, don't you do between genres or whatever, first thing that came to mind was you don't mix rock with dobbly, but maybe we should leave that <laughs> where it is. <laughs> we get enough Spinal Tap references on this as it is. So moving on... Um, <laughs> I mean, there's 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 so much stuff that we could say here, and I'm I'm kind of going with the sort of the the mic technique tracking stage stuff, really. And there's a few controversial ones. Do we want to go there with the whole kind of ubiquitous SM57? If you don't use a 57, then you're you're doing it wrong thing. I mean, we've covered <laughs> it's that before. Funny, and it was... It's funny you've mentioned that because I was going to mention. I mean, back in the day, where's Mike when you need him? Um, you know, recording studios didn't have engineers. They had balance engineers. You know, they had mm. men in white and brown coats. And everyone's heard the legend of the the memorandum that was put on the Abbey Road notice board, something along the lines of, thou shalt not use an X microphone on the kick drum. So, you know, we've been, people have been breaking the, the rules, the unwritten rules forever. So... Yeah, I suppose it becomes more difficult the... the when culturally rules aren't kind of quite don't have quite the same place hmm. that they did, but they become more convention. So they're not led by some authority imposing it from above. They're 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 imposed by your peer group. Hmm. That's coming from a different direction. It's it's subtly subtly different in some way. The one I was, the other one I was going to mention actually was um, hi hat mics. Oh, do we want to go there? Yeah, go on, go on. All right, <laughs> just no. Ever. <laughs> I've, I set them, and I can't remember the last time I used one. I've set one, yeah. usually to shut the person up who's going to say, aren't you going to set a hi-hat mic? <laughs> and then gone, are you going to plug the other end of that in? Mm. No, it's fine like it is. <laughs> yeah, the, the air gap really adds to the sound. <laughs> I Honestly, I'm not. I'm, I, I can't remember the last time I thought, oh, I really want to bring that hi-hat out a little bit. You know, I mean, it's it's just off the overhead. It's, it's about distance is what it is. And... Um, the further away from a hi hat, the better I think it sounds. See, That's I think really with with hi hats, it, it, again, it very much depends on the pair of symbols and the way you strike them. Very much on the way it strike you strike mm -hmm. them. I was I was visiting um, a friend of mine uh, the other day, and he was uh, he he's a great drummer, but uh, he's always been. What's the most generous way to put this? Underfunded, <laughs> and um, he's he's the guy who who who. You, you know when when heads get so old that they they just you know your your coated heads just kind of black in the middle because it's so mucky because yep. it's never been to, that that whole thing and it, it can sound great you know I mean it really can it depends very much you certainly have a lot less control if it doesn't sound great there's very often not as much you can do about it but also I've met drummers who go through go through you know more than one pair of sticks of, sticks a gig he used to hang on to sticks for years. Because he was so careful with them, because they're expensive. You know, he doesn't mm -hmm. want to do that. Because of that, he <laughs> won't play a hi hat with the shoulder of the stick. Wow, he just won't do oh. it. It's always with the tip. 
and because of that, it's not a sound I've ever enjoyed. And I'm going, look, hi hats. I just want them a bit sloshier, a bit, you know. And you're never going to get that if you're there over the top of the hat. Ta, 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 ta. I mean, it's a great sound for some stuff, but if you want stuff to get a little bit messy, a little bit, then it doesn't matter what mic you put on it. If if <laughs> if the if the hat's not being played right, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a good example. What's also interesting is you say about hi hat mics that I do about under snare mics. Right. I'm, I'm a bit like that with under snare. Actually, the, the important ha- mic for a snare for a snare drum is 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 the overheads. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not even the snare mic. It's the overheads <laughs> and where yeah. the overheads are. But there's a, there's a rabbit hole of discussion we could well, <laughs> disappear hey, you know. down. <laughs> or, or we, or, yeah, we what? should talk about that on a podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that that's it, it does fit in nicely, though, because it's kind of this like this this question of what is a quote unquote better sound, like something that's closer or something that's got a little bit more distance and some more room and like, I, yeah, more of an overall picture of the kit and then just like bleeding in little things and just hearing I don't, having an under snare mic for me is just it puts it just way, I don't know, way too way too in your face for my liking. Um, but I am a huge fan of brushes on hi-hat, and I will put that in whatever genre I feel like working with that day. So we'll break the rules that way with brushes. Okay. <laughs> I have a, I mean, I have a, a rule-breaking example. It's, it's probably not a rule as such. It's a, it's a personal rule um, that every track I work on, be it desired, required, or not, I will put something acoustic in. Mm-hmm. If I'm working on a breakbeats album with someone and it's all processed, or I'm working on an EDM track with someone and it's all processed, it's all um, virtual instruments, drum machines, programmed, all that sort of stuff. At some point, something organic has to go in there. It could be a shaker, a tambourine, a penny whistle. It could be anything. It could be me murdering an ocarina or something. But something organic has to go into every track I work on. There was something I used to have. I mean, hey, we, we're quite far into a podcast and I haven't mentioned that I used to teach. So, you know, we might as well drop <laughs> Everybody it Everybody drink. Here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Cheers. Um, but when I did, I I used to have certain things that I, that people kind of had to do because, you know, there was, a, there was a certain number of things people had to demonstrate they knew how to do, one of which was to use a microphone. And when you meet somebody who does nothing but very minimal electronic music, that will never ever have a vocal on it and it's all you know they might be great at it and it's like this is tricky okay how are we going to kind of crowbar a um uh, uh some audio recording into this and this is it was from that that i first started getting into with electronic sources to kind of reamp it through a pa system might that happen just trickle some of that in and it can put a really nice edge onto stuff and put some space around things and it's just different to to other things you could do to munge a track up a little or maybe put some reverb on it. And depending on how you do it, the different results you get, obviously. I mean, you might just get um, a, a, a bit of a sort of a, a nasty, sort of slightly lo-fi thing happening if you're using a little speakers on sticks PA system close mic compared to doing it through a bigger system from the other side of the room. You know, not everybody, not everybody kind of went for it trying it, but it was interesting giving it a go of just kind of like, look, just take your drums, feed them through this massive PA system, Record the results, mix it back into your track, see how you get on, and that can be, you know, it's 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 breaking a rule of sorts, well, I suppose. It's certainly a way to say, see that microphone, pick it up, point it at something now, <laughs> record it's, something. It, let's yeah. face it, that what you've just what you've just explained, Julian, is an echo chamber. 
effectively. Of, of sorts, mm. but you're not choosing the space you're doing it in. Um, it's the same mechanism, but, but mm. for a different result. Absolutely. You're, you're, kind of, you're reamping through real life. Yeah. I, I used to refer to it as, as reamping more than because mm. the, actually the kind of the reverb element in the in the kind of, you know, those kind of spaces didn't tend to be that, that enormous most of the time. But yeah, well, point taken. While, while we're in drinking mode, I may at some point have mentioned that I at once attended a course down in the south of France. <laughs> Same. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes you've done, you have as well, haven't you? I have, we, we, yeah. We both have. We're both alum, alumni. Alumni? Yeah, that's the word. Alumni, yeah. Um, and while I was there, there was a fairly spectacular thunderstorm. And we were using... Did the power the... stay on? No. <laughs> And when it came back, it took the Neve out. But that's a, that's a whole other yes. story. Um, we we were there for said thunderstorm and we were using the, the bigger studio as a reverb chamber, as an echo chamber, because mm. Al quite likes echo chambers. They have one or two at Capitol. And they, we tried to set up this other room a bit like, so we had a real a live chamber. But of course, when the thunder was going for it, the thunder was coming through on the echo chamber as well. It was amazing. Oh, it was cool. so cool. Oh, wow. And I think that actually went into the record. Nice. It went into the sound of the track because the thunder just sounded, it was sort of blooming in all the right places. It was incredible. You Happy just made me think of something. Something organic for you, your track. You yeah. just made me think of something. This is something you don't really get anymore. But this many years ago, I was recording a thing onto tape, onto multi-track tape. It was uh, it was a... Uh, half inch eight track uh, in a complete no money studio that I used to work in in the uh, in the sort of mid 90s and you get yeah I mean the, the the conventional wisdom of kind of like you know you buy a reel of tape and you use it once and then that's it and it's sent away with the client or you put it on a shelf and thou shalt never reuse and everything all of that stuff goes completely out of the window when people have no money and it's like you need some tape yeah sure here you go <laughs> and it might be so thin that it's tr gone transparent but the point is you the best tape to use is the tape that you've got so yeah this is what kind of used to happen i must admit it didn't always get erased we'd just go yeah whatever and just keep rolling uh -huh. and if you're dropping in and out you can get weird stuff happening <laughs> from the previous take <laughs> And I had this thing of, um, it was, I'm trying to remember what it was. It was, uh, oh, yeah, it was kind of like a sort of bluesy rock, sort of pretty standard sort of band thing. It wasn't especially interesting, the music. But we've got this thing where we're doing some drop-ins for some vocals, and we've got little bits of BVs from the what we'd been on previously, some of which mm. was, was fitting weirdly well you know that thing about if, you, if you've got some music on and you've got the telly on with sound off and it seems to work together and it works almost but it was one of those moments of like oh wow and yeah absolutely i mean most of them yeah they they went but a couple of them stayed and made it onto the finished recording just because uh nice. yeah it worked so well and that's if that is an example of uh ignoring the rules at least uh, yeah. well, in multiple ways of kind of like yeah we can use this tape of course we can will it work yeah let's go and also let's not record let's let's leave random stuff poking through 
Happy accidents are great, though, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Like, they, um, I mean, a recording is literally just a snapshot in time, you know? So if you keep some of that, it's it's keeping what happened during the process there. And um, I was thinking about that a lot when I was listening to Fiona Apple's uh, new record, uh, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, because there's dogs barking in the background of a lot of the tracks. Like, you know, she's recording vocals in her home. And um, I was really, I don't know, noticed the um, the lack of like fading out of some of these vocal layers and stuff. So there's all of these really intentional shifts and in ambience uh, as you progress, like especially toward the end of songs when she, you know, kills the recording on certain layers. You just hear that drop in ambience as you go. And it's it's this really it gives it this kind of rawness to it where I think if if we. If, if we focus too much on the, the technical side of everything just being perfect, like, okay, I must denoise this and I must fade it out. And now we move on to the next track. You just kind of become this automaton droid, like just making everything really sterile, um, you, you know, overworking it to death and just kind of removing the life from it that happened during the recording Recording, process. Recording vocals at home. If only someone had made a video about that recently. I know. <laughs> <laughs> What However, with access with <laughs> access to the kind of things you're talking about, my next example might have been fixed, and that would have been a real shame. I'm thinking about this is going way back. This is going back to sometime in the late '80s, and a friend of mine who was a student at the time, he was at art college, and uh, he's a good guitarist. He used to, used to write some songs, and uh, no tech knowledge, no equipment, nothing. But the guy in the room upstairs from him played played electric guitar and had sort of a bit of gear, and he used to go up there with. Um, uh, with just like a little, you know, stereo cassette recorder using the internal mic, no control of a gain, nothing like that, that kind of level of recording. And he's recording himself. And there was a few inventive things he used to do. One I thought was great was, uh, you know, the whole kind of like reverse transducer principle of you can use a pair of headphones mm-hmm. as a microphone, you can use yep. all that stuff. He he figured that out quite accidentally just by plugging oh. a pair of, pair of closed back headphones into the input of a guitar amplifier. And with it cranked up, it just fed back really badly but he noticed that if he spoke into it he could get these distorted voices and it had a spring reverb so all of this stuff and being able to play it by pulling the pulling the uh earpieces apart he could kind of get these whoop 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 kind oh, of uh, wow. effects cool. and then going Wah. and he'd written this monologue about about Swindon actually he was living in Swindon <laughs> at the time and hated it Swindon in, in the <laughs> west of the UK it's yeah and uh, he was doing Sorry, this monologue. Sorry, Swindon, if we've upset of, you. Well, you know, it was a long time ago, but he wasn't keen. And is uh, saying all these, uh, reading out this uh, the sort of lyrics to this thing that he'd done. That was fantastic piece. So atmospheric, it turned out. Really, really good. Kind of thing you could never try to do again. But there was another one he did, which was a really, it was a lovely song that he'd written. It was very, very atmospheric indeed. Um, just acoustic guitar and, and, and a vocal. What he hadn't noticed was uh, he'd got all the strings off the headstock of his uh, of his acoustic, and he hadn't clipped the, the the ends of the strings. He hadn't even wound them round. They were just wobbling about in space mm. like they do, and a couple of them were well, are vibrating and wobbling and hitting the uh, the cassette recorder. And it was this really eerie kind of little kind of environmental sound. And they were kind of sort of pitched and very high frequency and and so random in nature. And along with this thing, they really put a whole thing around it. It was was an amazing recording. I've no idea where it is now, but I remember thinking another example of we tried to do the song again 
when we had a, a, you know some some proper equipment like you know maybe like a four track multi multi tracker or something you know but it was you, you can't recreate that stuff at all forget it i'm just trying to think of times where where make do and mend has been actually you know it has made the recording by having to do things in a certain way um often make do and mend comes when it happens when it comes to yours and my julian's favorite point in in any recording setup the headphones because (laughs) Uh. you know the the first thing that is compromised is always oh you're gonna have to share headphone mix you're gonna have to share with them you're on the same Mm -hmm. thing you'll have to come up with a you know with a a compromised level um not in my studio i'll have you know because i am aware of these things but um it, it it's one of those things that sometimes can um lead on to other things for example we were doing some vocal recordings at um they wanted they wanted a big kind of choral sound and i said well the best way to get a big choral sound is to get a big choir mm-hmm. they went yeah we haven't really got budget for that and i went well the, the next thing to do is go into a big room and we'll multi-track you several times moving around because mm-hmm. that's a well-known um, someone just wrote an article about that too they did what, oh what your ch- thing of course yeah, yeah. what, what did, are the yeah. what are the chances you, you'd think you'd think we planned this wouldn't you um, i know uh, so, be so, so we were reco- disappointed if you did think we planned anything. But yeah, <laughs> so we recorded the four of them, and I and I said to them, right, but you can't just sound like the four of you every time. You have to ham it up a little bit. So I need the four of uh, the four of you sound singing happy, the four of you singing sad, the four of you singing. Uh, in the style of Tommy Cooper, and yeah, yes. yeah sure. <laughs> and to, 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 to just about chase the way, just like we're, that. We're um, getting a bit UK again, so yeah, we are. <laughs> but you know, and, and, and there there are very very s- certain styles that you can say, and where people change their voice, they, you know, um, mm-hmm. sing sing with no consonants is a good one as well, with no actual attack mm-hmm. on the words, um, make everything vowel sounds, and it all just makes it sound bigger and bigger. But of course, for all of this. We were running on a laptop with, I think, I think we had one headphone output and a headphone amp that I could feed everyone, you know, the, the headphone um. mixes. But, but I wasn't. We were working so fast that I wasn't able to keep taking the levels down mm-hmm. of the previous thing, and people were bouncing harmonies off what they were hearing because they hadn't heard those other the, the other the other notes before. They hadn't heard what the other people were singing because they hadn't rehearsed <laughs> a band going into a studio without rehearsing who'd have thunked it imagine uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so all these extra harmonies and these extra kind of tonal qualities to this vocal part were coming out because they were able to hear things they weren't used to hearing or they were hearing things for the first time that were giving them more ideas so happy accident restricted by um you know the the environment and the conditions under which you are working if they'd had perfect mixes say oh i don't i don't want to hear that i just want to hear me i don't want to hear that i want to hear mm-hmm. me more of this we might not have come up with this amazing vocal sound this this huge choir i mean it sounded like a, a an enormous choir i think we probably had in the end 25 vocals singing at the same time which is a pretty reasonable choir but mm-hmm. um the, the largest choir i've ever recorded in fact in fact technically the largest choir Julian's ever recorded, I was pointing a camera at it, was <laughs> 200 kids in the ah. Birmingham Town Hall. 
That was Which, that was nice to record something that's that's wider than a drum kit, as I put it. On the deck, you know? <laughs> Certainly, one. It was a lot wider than a drum kit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm but just yeah. thinking about what you're saying about because um, we're kind of uh, we're, we're we're technically still talking about rules, I suppose. But there's a whole kind of like direction we haven't gone in. And um, what you're saying about headphone mixes, and I was thinking actually, a good example is uh, people who uh, insist on monitoring themselves when they're overdubbing through the monitors. Mm. And that's a no-no, but loads of people do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, loads of people do it. And really? I mean, there's, there's the, have you ever tried the out of phase thing that everyone says? Yeah, oh, yeah I've, I've yeah. done it, and it it doesn't work as well as you hope right. it would. Yeah, I've never done it, <laughs> and I'd imagine that it wouldn't work as well as you. And, and I mean, if I if I lived in an anechoic chamber, I'm sure I could get it working brilliantly, but I don't. So there's <laughs> but, there's well well known opera singer Catherine Jenkins allegedly, and I've heard this through. Uh, a couple of people is not a fan of headphones, so if she's working yeah. with a back with a pre-recorded orchestra or a track or something like that, they have to do it that way. They have to do the whole out of phase um, mm. track. There's an opportunity um, here for all these. You've seen all these um, uh, like beaming technologies that are happening with uh, speaks, and somebody must have thought about the application for personal monitoring in studios because if you can beam stuff so accurately that. Uh, that somebody sitting in front of a television is receiving one signal to one ear and another signal through the other ear from, you know, a few feet away from a telly, mm-hmm. then you could easily do that in a studio environment. I'm sure you, somebody must be working on that. If not, I've just given away my, my <laughs> all-time money-making secret idea. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But do you see what I'm saying about kind of yeah, like totally. loads of people? Um, there's, there's someone I used to work with years ago, and she hated, hated headphones, absolutely. Um, used to insist on. She used to play. She used to play piano and accordion. Great accordion player. People people are unkind about accordions, and while they're awful things to record, because I've, it's the only thing I can think of where you've got two bits both making a noise at the same time that are moving that in are opposite moving. directions. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, but um, uh, and she used to play with this great, great violinist and they used to play this fantastic kind of um uh, sort of uh, like eastern european stuff and sort of mm. really you know and sort of yeah great music but not only would they not use headphones but they insisted on standing shoulder to shoulder i mean move them uh, even yep. a meter apart and they'd go no no this it's not working at all and they'd be very unhappy about it mm-hmm. and uh yeah challenging <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly a case of embrace the spill because, like, that's what's happening. You haven't got a choice. Know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's so common with um, with classical musicians. They'll, like, we'll have um, a soloist and uh, their accompanist. So the co- accompanist will be on piano and the soloist, they want to face each other. So then we've got the instrument that the soloist is playing f- pointed directly into where the piano is with an mm. open lid. Mm. So I've got like a blanket or a gobo sometimes to try to minimize the bleed, but really I'm just kind of more focusing on making sure that there's no phasing issues with that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, with the multiple just microphones. Try, you're getting bleed, yeah. so just make sure the bleed sounds okay. It sounds yeah. good, <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and live, bring an element of, you know, it has to also look good as well as sound mm-hmm. good into mm-hmm. that you know if you start saying okay so you've got this beautiful style of piano but it's making too much noise and i need to then put a blanket over it and, and you know sort of go bow right. it in any any concert promoter is going to say uh no yeah, get no all chance. that stuff out of here <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. And, and yeah we do then bring into the element of that that the performer probably doesn't want to see a microphone 
Right. They don't want to, They don't want to stand behind a microphone to sing. And then and then and then microphone manufacturers make microphones with LEDs built into them, and it's like, no, <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Gaff tape right over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, no, there we are with um. Uh, there was, I'm sure there was another one I was thinking of. Oh, here's a good one. Okay, um, just the kind of like accepted wisdom that everybody has. Actually, this is playing straight into William's kind of strong suit, really, which is um, uh, high-passing stuff and your mix, your stereo mix, must be wide at the top and and mono at the bottom. And, uh, well, it, well they're, not, they're not bad rules of thumb and I've said both things to, you know, especially to people who aren't very experienced – um, because it's kind of it's a safe choice. Safe isn't mm. necessarily the best way to be, and rules mm-hmm. are there to be broken, and they need to. It takes it takes a bit of a uh, a bit of perspective, shall we say, to uh, to to understand that uh, just because something works doesn't mean it's the only thing that works. And I think there are there are two words that go against that argument. One of them is the, and the second one is Beatles. Because, <laughs> because I mean, yeah. how how many Beatles tracks were the drums and the guitars on one side and the bass and the um, vocals were on the other, or a combination thereof craziness? I'm, I'm sure we I'm sure we were talking about this because I um last week for some reason about kind of wild stereo stuff. Um, just because I was referring to a Velvet Underground track called The Gift mm. that I haven't heard in a very long time that had the, the most decorrelated of left-right channels you can ever have because they had nothing in common whatsoever because one was a piece of music and one was a narration. So, you know, there we go. I've, I've done that where I've had to be able to control the level of... I've had... A, someone sent me a stereo cassette for a, for, a, for a live playback and it's had music on one side and it's had the voiceover or narration on the other and I've had to be able to... Um, Control the volume, as in basically mix the mix it live, but not had a, a conventional desk. I've had an awful DJ mixer thing where I've had to use the crossfader to oh. to change. It's it was horrendous. But again, you, you under certain uh, financially limited um, conditions, you mm-hmm. just do what you can. And they yeah. sent me a cassette with the music on one side and the narration on the other. It was under Milk Wood, in fact. Um, yeah. the narration for that and I had to kind of be using a crossfader to go between these two tracks where I'd completely fudge the output of the cassette deck to go between two chan- two different sides of a DJ deck so I could use the crossfader to go between the, mm-hmm. the um, audio Very overlooked stuff the fact that a, a stereo cassette tape is is basically a two track tape yeah <laughs> and yeah. you can i mean all of my er, my earliest um, multi track recordings were done tape to tape sound on sound style you know yep. with uh, record something onto deck 1 dub it onto deck mm. 2 while doing a live input through the mic Absolutely. Input and you could and wow i mean anyone who's ever complained about noise needs to try that and not <laughs> understand what noise is <laughs> then then uh, my my first stereo my, well, home stereo had a microphone input, a high impedance mic jack in it, which I used to plug I, before I bought my first guitar amp. I'd plug some pedals in, my guitar into some pedals, and that into the into the hi fi. And it, I mean, you know, I was uh, 13, 14. It must have sounded horrendous to have mm-hmm. a 20 watt stereo cranked all the way with this god awful noise going through it. But mm. I thought it sounded amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> And if you tell kids today, they wouldn't believe absolutely all of that stuff. Okay, I think we've I think we've uh, spoken about that at some length. So we should probably move it on to competitions. 
Our friends at Carly Audio are offering the chance to win a pair of their LP8 two-way monitors. The larger of the two two-way monitors in the Lone Pine range. The tail of the lonesome pine. Anyway, <laughs> the LP8 is a two-way monitor that offers performance way beyond its price tag of a mere 500 bucks. Please note this giveaway is only open to entrants in the USA, Canada and Europe. Sorry, the rest of the world. Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you will know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it really isn't good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser with no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. And on to uh, Find of the Week. This is sponsored by RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio are up and running remotely. Their team is set up and working from the safety of their homes and their sales staff are available by phone, live chat or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio and ensure you can continue to work from home. If there's anything they can do, please don't hesitate to reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Plus, of course, there is the link in the show notes. Great stuff. So, um, uh, Audrey, what is your find of the week? So my find of the week is relating to an article that I came across um, by the New York Times back in January of 2019. I saw this article about how this whole town of Cremona, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. No, Cremo- in- Cremona is correct. It is awesome. Yep. Um, in Italy, and um, this, with the cooperation of this whole town, they were basically silent. So, like, diverted traffic, um, made everyone kind of shut up and no honking horns and all this stuff to record the sound of the Stradivarius violin. And I was just really intrigued by the um, like the amount of work that went into this. And last week, I discovered what part of the uh, end result of that was going to be. It is a, uh, a native instruments violin. So they were sampling this uh, to get the cinematic version of the Stradivari that you can uh, play in your freaking productions. And I think that is just really, really exciting. And um, yeah, it was a really cool like end result to see like oh they wanted to preserve the sound keep it you know so that it can be passed on for the generation since these violins are becoming too fragile to to play it kind of gives future generations this opportunity to experience that sound and to see it, it, it tie in with native instruments on um, this last week I, I thought was really cool so well, uh, I, I do actually know something about this one just because, oh. um, well, I mean, the, the plan is at the moment, uh, Dave Tobin, who uh, has, uh, if you haven't checked out his orchestral library series mm-hmm. that he's run over things, I mean, he's a man who, who knows his stuff. And uh, he's been looking at this and he was telling me about it. Yeah. And um, it's kind of clever just because something that hadn't really occurred to me, because I'm, I'm not really an orchestral sample library user, is that if you're trying to... Uh, adjust between uh, certainly between loud and soft timbre changes and in a sampled instrument you're mm-hmm. going to have to crossfade between sets of samples mm-hmm. and if you want to go kind of like nice and slowly between the two you're going to get some kind of phasing stuff happens because you've got 
different samples playing at the same time because they're cross-fading. Now, mm. you can't have them velocity switched like we used to have in terrible sample and synthesis instruments years ago because that's just terrible. <laughs> I can remember like roads patches that went from soft roads to hard roads, like uh, in one degree oh, of MIDI sure. velocity, <laughs> and it's like you can't mm -hmm. use that. Anyway, apparently they've, I don't know what they've done, but it doesn't do that, they've, which is kind um, of clever. It does the same for for um, vibrato as well, apparently. So if you're going okay. from a non-vibrato to vibrato patch, it doesn't do any kind of funny swooshy-wooshy while it's getting there. Nice. So nice. a cool instrument. I'm sure there's much more to it. I haven't had the pleasure myself. But, you know. yeah, I was, it just sounds like so much care went into oh, yeah. the, all of the detail. I love it. I was on tour um, many, many moons ago. Um, I, th I think I must have been about 10 or 11 with a school orchestra. And we were in Italy and everyone said, oh, we're going to Cremona, we're going to Cremona, Stradivarius and all that. And someone said, yeah, then they're taking us to a forest. And we all went, oh. <laughs> it turns out this is the forest where 80% of the wood that goes into mm. violins comes from. The, 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 the trees in this particular forest produce a certain are grown in a certain way and um, historically have always grown in this way and produce some of the most beautiful figured um, timber for mm. um, violins, cellos, violas, basses. Mm. Um, and the reason I know this, obviously fast forward several years to a recent NAM show, I was in the DW drum workshop um, arena, kind of they have their separate own separate room upstairs and they had used, they'd got hold of some of these veneers of timber from this uh, this forest outside Cremona, and they'd used it to inlay, to mark inlay the like the the, the bands around the drums. If you get really beautiful mm. um, like marquetry inlays around these drums, and it was all from the timber from this forest, and I was like, oh. <gasps> then I saw That's the price cool. tag and went, yeah, yeah, you can you can have <laughs> that. I was just waiting for you to say, and DW had taken <laughs> had taken eighteenth uh, um, century Italian violins and then made a kit set of shells oh, out of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, for, no, fortunately not. But they had got hold of the timber, and it, it, I mean, it looked amazing. It's the most, some of the most beautiful figured oh, timber ever. Wow, James, what's what's yours anyway? Okay, so it's um, uh, it's it's. You know, I'm, I'm going to totally go with my usual, find the most expensive thing you possibly can and, and shout about it. Uh, and <laughs> this is no exception. Uh, for the last couple of years at the NAMM show, both Julian and I have got a bit gooey over this product. And it is the amazing McDSP APB16, or the Analog Processing Box. Yeah, the 1U green McDSP mm. box. I've got one because I'm going to be doing some work with McDSP. And it is incredible. It is absolutely stunning what they are able to do with this thing. Um, it is, at the moment, it is six dynamics stroke saturation. Let's call them processes rather than plugins because this is where it gets interesting. And a summing mixer um, solution. In a 1U rack that is connected via Thunderbolt to your, your Mac, and you can now run it with your any DAW that runs with audio units or um, uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, AAX plugins. And this thing is genuinely brilliant. It is 16 dedicated analog processors controlled digitally from a plug-in front end. 
It's awesome. It's like having 16 of your favorite analog processors in racks that you can recall absolutely 100% mm-hmm. accurately in you know the time it takes to open a session. And mm-hmm. it's, it's sample accurate and it's low latency and the team at McDSP are incredible. They've, for That's what really they've cool. done. This thing sounds absolutely gorgeous. Apparently, um, someone said, but they haven't done much in the way of EQ. No, because e- EQ <laughs> yeah, can, yeah, d- yeah. can be done well digitally. Uh, dynamics and saturation is far far mm-hmm. more realistic when done in the analog domain, which is why uh, the, the Moo X mixer, for example, which is the, um, the sewing mixer part of it, of, of the APB platform, is it has... EQ in it, but the EQ is controlled, is is digital, and but all the summing and the analog processing, like the the saturation and the dynamics that are built into this thing, are all done in the analog domain. It is glorious. It's not cheap. I won't say that for a moment, but when you think this thing is either sixteen mono or eight stereo hardware processors. And let's face it, if you bought 16 500 series modules, you're probably looking at oh, what? Oh, yeah. Six, uh, let's be fair. Let's say 10 grand. It's still cheaper than doing that. So, yes, it's expensive. But, hey, good good stuff is expensive. This is, like, only the direction that I think this stuff is going to go in more and more is just digital control of analog components. Like, even just thinking about, like, the Flock Audio patch, you know, you're just digitally changing your patches. It's just going to go more and more in that direction. This is a, yeah. a cool, cool piece of kit. Julian, tell us about your find of the week. <laughs> I mean, mine's wee, fairly wee, wee, uncomplicated, wee. but it was... Uh, it's the Josephson uh, E22S uh, mic that the kind of lollipop shaped condenser that's uh, that's kind of uh, quite popular on on drum kits, particularly for for people who can afford such things. It's not a cheap <laughs> mic. I have to say, it's not a cheap mic, and it's not one I had any experience of, probably because it's so you know it's 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 pretty dear. But it's certainly rated by lots of people who can afford anything that they want. And uh, I was using one the other day. Uh, in a session, and there's a thing that I put up using the Sonox um, Oxford drum gate, which was used as an example just because I loved the sound of this particular mic, but it had some quite bad bleed on it. And yeah, just I've since heard those Josephson on a, on a, on, a, on a few things, and I think they sound fantastic. I'm not going to buy any because I don't need <laughs> <laughs> that particular microphone. But if I was looking for to go for some kind of mics that I wouldn't be looking for alternatives for then yeah i can kind of i can see why the people who can justify such things like them as much as they do they are very good indeed if i could afford a full set of those for the kit they would be my mm. first choice tom mics but they're they're an expensive investment for Aren't enough they just mm. so um that brings us to the end of this particular podcast so uh, thank you very much uh, uh, it's good night from me it's good night from me and good night from me good night <laughs>